and for a long time, for a while, because uh, I feel like every girl growing up goes through their horse girl phase. Sure. Uh, I was just constantly listening to Springsteen's Pony Boy on a loop while like galloping around with horses oh, in that's the living awesome. room. everyone and welcome to a new episode of set lusting bruce your podcast all about bruce springsteen his music and mostly his fan i am your host jesse jackson uh playing with zoom i normally record via skype but i'm joining the aughts by zooming like everyone else um and that means i get to see my wonderful guest and joining me today before i introduce her I just have to tell her, and she has not heard this story, I don't think. Um, I went home when she agreed to be on the episode, and I said, I may have found my perfect podcast guest. And my son and wife go, okay, why? I said, well, um, she is in a Harry Potter-themed, slightly punk band. Okay, you love Harry Potter. She's written a song, Thank You, Bruce Springsteen. And she's written a song of West Wing's, uh, a, a, an EP of West Wing songs. And my wife said, wow. Uh, okay, yes, that may be your perfect guess. So with that introduction, Steph Anderson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a pretty impressive Venn diagram that we are just a concentric circle at this point. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, um, back when the books were coming out, um, uh, I was, I guess... I guess I'd been 52, 53, because I'm 61 now. So anyway, one of my um, one of my employees, uh, one of the managers that worked for me, tweeted once, and and for some reason, my 50 year old boss is obsessed with Harry Potter. <laughs> but but I, <laughs> I I I I bit the pill bad, and uh, it was funny. My um, my and I, I heard about it because one of my son's friends, he was in junior high and Mm -hmm. Josh was like, yeah. I said, Oh, what are you reading, Josh? He goes, Oh, it's this great book. I'm like, Oh, okay. I went and checked it out and uh, became obsessed with the series. So that's, I mean, everybody, I feel like if you can, you know, dive into those first couple of books, you're pretty much hooked from there on out, et cetera. I, uh, you know, I think I found mine at Costco back yeah. when there were only the first two out and you could get them. They were both on the table there in America right. because they released so quickly. So, yeah, it was uh, book book release season, that time period of the Harry Potter fandom. There is there, nothing else will ever come close to it, I think. I was actually, I had somebody... I can't remember if it was on Twitter or TikTok. We were t- we they had commented on something about book release uh-huh. being their favorite favorite time of the fandom, and I was like, "Well, it's so it seems so far away at this point with uh, with how the fandom has progressed, et cetera." Too. Yeah. So, Steph, I in fact, um, and and listeners, I promise we're going to get to Bruce. Um, 
and but I did form Steph. I said, I do go off on tangents. Um, so I believe it was book four, may have been book five. I can't remember for sure which one, but there was one that was this massive hype, like they all are, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. hype. And um, and I there was a Loken Walden's bookstore that back when they had Walden bookstores. And um, I had gone in and reserved a book. Okay. And so we were at, uh, we were at Sam's, speaking of Costco, and that's what may remind me, we mm -hmm. were at Sam's earlier that day running errands and the book was there. Okay. And Linda's like, or you can pick it up. I'm like, no, no, no. I, I ordered it from Walden. <laughs> I got to be loyal to my bookstore. You know, I'm going to do it. So uh, we run our errands and we get to the bookstore and uh, the lady says, yeah, we're sold out. Like, no, no, yeah. I reserved a book. Just, no, no. I'm like, um, I, I said, but I see other books behind the counter. Well, those are reserved for someone else. So, okay, disappoint them. I'm here right now. <laughs> and she yeah. would not, she would not give up. So, um, so we ended up going back to Sam's and picking up the book. But I, I remember just being, uh, you know, heaven forbid I wait a couple of days to get the yeah. <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah I remember uh it, I was in I think I was actually in yeah I was in eighth grade mm -hmm. and it was this the just before between three and four and I vividly remember we had to do a newspaper project where you had to write all these articles and do and format it and mine was about all the rumors around what even book four was going to be called what it was going to be about etc nice. so so yeah, it's a uh, that that time period <laughs> was wild. Like, yeah, and I, I, you know, I get, I guess we get a little bit like um, last year when um, Bruce started on Instagram the 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 Western. Mm, we now mm -hmm. know Western stars, but you know there was mm -hmm. that Western thing like. <gasps> what's this mean? What's this mean? Yeah. You know, and the speculation. So there's a little bit of taste of that, yep. uh, but not quite the mania. Yeah. You know, because you had all the eagerness of, of, of not just the, 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 the kids reading it, but the parents reading it and just the, the you know, this was a phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I am, I'm kind of a sucker for any of that stuff. That's kind of like, drawn out and everything i just yeah. i i think um maybe less so now but i in college the the uh jj abrams dropped the trailer for cloverfield and yeah. everything was like what is this gonna be and then we yeah. saw it and it kind of sucked but yes. you gave into the hype completely at yes. least in that moment in the lead up to it yes absolutely <laughs> and i love i love that excitement it's the same thing yeah. There was something, so my roommate and I both love Springsteen. That's part of how we became best friends. And there was something that we were trying to refresh and getting kind of like stressed trying to get access to. And we were like, this yeah. is like trying to get Bruce tickets, yes. but with a worse system. There was like. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, um, I'm so glad you're here. I appreciate it so much. Um, I always like to start at the beginning. So mm -hmm. talk to me about growing up. Where did you grow up? And what kind of music did your family listen to when you were a kid? 
Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the suburbs of Metro Detroit, um, okay. which shaped a lot of my growing up. Um, we lived in almost the direct center, kind of a commuter town between Detroit and Lansing, which is the state capital. So it was a lot of living amongst engineers and doctors and even um, politicians and people that work out in Lansing, et cetera. And then my family, which was uh, a family of artists. Uh, my mom was in radio and television. My dad was a photographer and had eventually his own photography and video studio. Um, so growing up for me, um, all of my siblings are six, we're six years apart. There's three of us. So I had six years of being an only child. And I always say that it was kind of mom, dad, and Bruce Springsteen or any other like classic mm -hmm. rock. But Bruce Springsteen was kind of omnipresent around then. Um, I was born in 1986. So, you know, we're coming on the uh, just on the bubble of the 1980s Bruce hype too. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, we also had Bob Seger, um, you know, being in sure. Detroit from Detroit, um, Bob Seger is kind of, is my summertime music, sure. <laughs> I've realized. Um, and my family was huge into, you know, Motown, everything. I didn't listen to a lot of kids music or anything like that. Um, and for a long time, for a while, uh, cause I feel like every girl growing up goes through their horse girl phase. Sure. Uh, I was just constantly listening to Springsteen's Pony Boy on a loop while like galloping around with horses oh, in that's the living awesome. room. Yeah. So like that, <laughs> that kind of gives you a picture of just how omnipresent my dad managed bands in Detroit too, um, before they moved out of Detroit proper. And so he was just always playing music and my mom was always playing music too. So they, they were just really present in the music scene around Detroit when they were growing up. And so to them, it was just like music, especially rock and roll is going to be in our household. They're, you're not going to escape it. Uh, yeah. It's going to be in our cars. It's going to be on our boat, et cetera, whatever it might be. So we already know that you uh, fell in love with uh, Harry Potter, but um, as you're getting into junior high and high school, did you have a rebellion phase where you like, oh, that's, that's my parents' music, and did you find your own? I think, um, well, I, th I think what's interesting is, is because Bruce Springsteen was so omnipresent, it wasn't always like, oh, it's Bruce Springsteen because like um, in 1999 my parents bought multiple nights of tickets to uh, the Detroit reunion shows okay. and on the second night my mom was tired um, and so she was just like uh, and my brotherhood was a baby etc so she was just like I don't know if I want to go to the second night and they asked if I wanted to go and I was just like I have school tomorrow. Like it wasn't even like a click yeah. of like what was happening. Uh, <laughs> but in middle school and high school, I mean, I, I loved MTV and v VH1 in particular sure. all through middle school and high school. So whatever was playing there was also present. Um, I also 
started to dive into a lot of the indie rock bands and punk bands because the internet was present and they put a computer in my room um, when I was in high school. So I was starting to uh, really dig into like who's touring through this area and starting to go to uh, small, medium punk shows, et cetera, in and around the venues around Metro Detroit. Um, so I, I mean, it wasn't so much as a rebellion. It was just like a, my parents have their music. There's got to be music that's being made that I can go see in a venue that's not uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills uh, right. or <laughs> like a basketball stadium. Um, and that like hooked me is seeing live music in small venues um, at a fairly young age um, made it pretty clear that that was what I love. So I started listening to um, I mean, he's also a big Springsteen fan, but Ted Leo and the Pharmacists are one of my favorite bands to this day. Um, I had a early kind of like proto-emo phase with early Dashboard Confessional, etc. So there's a lot of like punk floating around against me came up and in there, out of there. So, uh, and there's a lot of bands that have just like come and gone that are still in my iTunes collection because I sure. bought their CD <laughs> for no. five bucks at the show and uh, they probably didn't go on tour again. <laughs> but I think that's kind of nice that in, instead of a rebellion, you, you kind of this open, well, um, I, I, I love what they're doing, but I want to find my own voice too. I want to find my yeah. own. Um, you know, I grew up in, um, my dad was in the army, so we moved around a lot. But once we finally settled um, a small town in Louisiana called Lake Charles, Louisiana, mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it was rare uh, concerts would come by, and most of them would be more middle of the road, like, you know, Willie Nelson or John Denver, mm -hmm. you know. Um, it wasn't until we moved to Dallas when Lynn and I got married in 84. We moved up in Dallas in 86, and around 87, 88, we started going to see local bands. Yeah. And, and, and all of a sudden, you, 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 you love the fact that, um, you know, these local bands would actually thank you after the show. I mean, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. hey, Jesse, thanks for coming out. You know, and, and I made that joke. Like, uh, last time I saw Billy Joel at the big arena, he didn't say afterwards, you know, hey, Jesse, Linda, good to see you, right? And, yeah. and you started becoming fans of these local bands and, and these small venues of whether they're singer-songwriters or rock and roll bands. So I think that's cool. Very early, you figured that out, and, and, and that became something you love doing. Yeah, and I was – so I, um, I also decided that I did not want to go to the, like, giant high school in my town – and so I asked, and we found a, a small private Catholic co-ed, I made okay. sure, because <laughs> I, <laughs> I hung out with guys a lot more than girls, so I was like, yeah. I don't know if I'll have any friends if I go to an all-girls school, but um, I was going to a private Catholic school in downtown Ann Arbor, Michigan, Okay. Um, where when we had half days, uh, my parents couldn't come get me, because they're kind of both working, and so we would go walk down downtown and so you have I have this like early exposure to college town mm -hmm. life too and seeing you know just bands 
playing at 3 p.m. on a, you know, in a sandwich shop. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) So, so yeah, so live music, no matter what, has always been really, really something I love, which where I live now kind of sucks for it, but (laughs) eventually I'll get out of it. So (laughs) where do you live now? I'm currently based just outside of Cincinnati, kind of between Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio. Um, So, and Cincinnati's music scene is pretty, uh, is pretty interesting. Um, Most of the indie punk shows don't start till like music doesn't start till 11 PM. Um, And now that I have a Monday through Friday, eight to five job, I can't exactly show out uh, at Tuesday at 11 PM or stay out till 3 a.m. to see the headliner. <laughs> right. So uh, I've shared this story a couple of times on the air. Um, uh, I One of the first people we reached out to was a lady uh, named Sarah Hickman. She's a, um, she was a singer songwriter. So she's kind of retired now. Uh, but um, so 87 88 she's playing shows and um she kind of had a house gig at um club dada which was down in deep ellum which is you know just here's like you my audience can't see but you can here's downtown dallas here's Mm -hmm. i-45 which will take you to houston and just east of that would be deep ellum and there's uh has a long history of deep ellum blues and everything so there's this little club and she would go on every Monday night at 10 o'clock. And so oh. <laughs> Linda and I, because this is before we had kids, and we were maybe middle 20s, we would get off work, get home, eat something quickly, take a two-hour nap. <laughs> we, we would go Commitment. to <laughs> set the alarm for like 9 o'clock, 9.15, get up, brush our teeth, put a hat on if we had bed air and would drive down to be there at her 10 o'clock show, stay till midnight. Cause usually she's done by midnight and then mm-hmm. we would go down and then we'd be back at work for eight o'clock. You know, we would do that. So yeah. but that we had to have that nap and, and we did yeah. that. And, and now then at 60, I go, Oh, there's no way I could do that. Yeah. But at the time it was just, it was, we wanted to hear her and we yeah. wanted to be part of it. And, and we, you, I think you also, and, and you may disagree Steph, but when they're a local band, you, you start feeling a, a, a kinship and a res, almost a responsibility. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. they don't have that big of an audience. I need to be there. I need yeah. to make sure they're getting positive feedback because I love their music so much. Yeah, I, I definitely, like, I definitely feel that. Um, and that's the thing too, is, is for me now living here is I can, I can make it an event, but I was spoiled. I was so spoiled in Ann Arbor because then I went to college at the university of Michigan. So I didn't leave this town that I absolutely loved of just being able to like roll up at 8 PM. And I'm like, And I I tell people here in the Cincinnati scene all the time, I'm like, I can handle a headliner going on at 11 p.m., but I can't handle the opening band going on at 11 p.m. And that doesn't mean that I don't love any of them. No, (laughs) no. (laughs) Um, There was a story. We we were at uh, Club Dada, 
and uh, a company, a band called uh, Brave Combo was playing. They're from Denton, Texas. They do rock and roll polka. Great, mm. fun band. They've actually won a couple of Grammys. But um, they, they, had, they started, you know, kind of late. We were there. We were all pumped up. And so, like, 12.31 in the morning, they, they took their, they're like, they ended their first set. And like, all right, we'll be back shortly. And we knew because we'd seen them so long time that it was not a 15 minute. It was more like a 20, 25 minute break between sets. And we looked at, I looked at Linda and she's like, you know, if we leave now, we could be in bed before they even come <laughs> on their second set. <laughs> and, you know, we, we've seen them and you know, the kid, uh, you know, is going to get us up because, you know, he's, he's three or four. He doesn't care that mom and dad went out the night before. Mm -hmm. He's like, Oh, it's, it's eight o'clock. It's time to get up. I want breakfast. I want to play. And, and I looked and I said, yes, I, I totally agree. And so, you know, we, <laughs> we ran by and, and like saw Carl who's late. Carl, we had a great time. We got to go babysitter. And it just went. And went. So, um, I, so I feel your, I feel your angst and, and, yeah. and pain. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I've played, um, at the profit bar in mm -hmm. Dallas. I don't know okay. if that's, if you know that venue, it's pretty, it sounds it's, familiar. Yeah, it was. It's a cute little little tiny venue mm -hmm. that is is not afraid of uh, weird Harry Potter bands invading nice. every once in a while. <laughs> well, good. Um, so I, I ask this sometimes, and and you may this may be hard for you to explain because, as you said, um, Bruce has just been. I mean, it's like asking. Well why does your family use Tide washing detergent? Well, it's just always been there, you know, like, yeah. yeah. Or like, why, why is your, why do you go to the Catholic church? I, we were raised Catholic, right? There was yeah. no choice in it. So you may not have that answer, but as an adult now, can you put in words why Bruce remains someone you're passionate about? Uh, yeah. I mean, that is, that is pretty hard. I mean, part of it just is that I know that no matter what I'm feeling or what kind of the season of my life might be, um, that there is some kind of Bruce thing that I can consume to kind of whether I need to feel better about it or just feel heard or like recognize myself in something and I think that's really kind of all of it in one one ball is that he's he has just been there and it is kind of that um you know security blanket for for lack of a better word but I I definitely you know I've um so when I was in high school I was like a huge fan of the who um, but after a certain point, while I still absolutely adore many, many Who songs, there are ones where, like, that's a kind of a band where, like, the just unabashed kind of anger and rejection of everything else, um, doesn't exactly, like, fit when you kind of slide into right. adulthood, at least mm -hmm. if you're trying to be a well-adjusted adult, hopefully. Sure. Um, <laughs> so whereas for me, you know, Bruce has all this content about 
becoming an adult and then being an adult and how shitty that is at times, but also how amazing it is. So for me, it's just that there is, you know, you're able to grow up and experience things with him, not just that he's kind of playing in the background, but he's kind of almost, you're an active participant and he's an active participant in your life if you want him to be. I think that's well said. You know, um, often you'll see a question on Twitter or just social media. Well, you're you're stuck on a desert island and you can only bring one musician's music. You know, what do you do? And um, not just because I do a Springsteen podcast, but I'm like, that's easy, Bruce. Because, yeah. I mean, first off, you know, um, and we'll get to this, but like his his last year he put out an album that, whether it's your taste or not was creative and, and, mm-hmm. and he was, he was trying new things and, and he's experimenting and, and, you know, yeah. he, he is not um, like um, one of my early obsessions was the beach boys. And and I love Brian Wilson. I still am in, in a Brian Wilson, um, you know, evangelist. And, and um, if I had to, I'd probably pick Peck Sounds as my favorite album on top of all my Bruce albums. I just love them. But I don't know that he has continued to make groundbreaking yeah. different music. And um, Bruce... I've, you know, I'm going to do Ghost of Tom Joad or, you know, I'm going to do the Seeger Sessions, you know, and now then I'm going to do a Glenn Campbell, Jimmy Wedd type album. (laughs) And um, it's just kind of cool to see. Yeah, it reminds me, like the only other person that I can, that I absolutely adore and uh, respect because they just do whatever the hell they want any yeah. day of the week it is it always makes me think of Elvis Costello too because yes. Elvis Costello will uh, come out in the late 2000s with the delivery man which is kind of like a punk album again and then release a orchestra and piano based album because he's trying to woo his new wife yes. uh, with North and I love both of those albums at the same level. Um, And so, yeah, I I think Bruce has some of that same thing. And I absolutely, I respect any artist who's pushing themselves, experimenting, trying something new. Um, You know, that's, that's what I love to see too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I always like to preface this question with, um, I do not think the amount of times you've seen Bruce perform live is a fair barometer of, of your fandom, uh, depending on your age, depending on your geographic location, depending on your financial situation, all those change. But for the record, how many times have you seen him perform live? And did you go that night that's a school night? <laughs> I I did not go in 99. So my, my Bruce attendance started in 2003 on the uh, – baseball stadium tour but i think it's 12 it could be 13 um just because there were a few tours in there where i was you know i was coasting off of my parents money yes uh you know their their (laughs) their ticket purchasing yes um but yeah, so I'm pretty sure I'm I can guarantee that there were twelve, including the vote for change tour, which I was Oh, that's was, kinda nice. Which was an interesting experience. Actually, I just realized it is thirteen. 
because uh, I went to an Obama rally where he played. So, nice. 13. That's my, my final answer. No take backs. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I always mention this in case someone knows, um, you know, um, there is a website, My Boss Time. Uh, okay. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but if you yeah. go, uh, where you can go make a free account and he has every show they've ever done. Perfect. So you can go, you pick which shows you've had, and then also there's underneath, it, and then it'll then tell you what's the most songs you've heard, what's the rare songs That's you've heard, cool. what percentage of albums have you heard. So I always recommend that. It's a great thing. Um, do you think... I just had um, a, a writer, Ron Martz, who's a big comic book writer on, and he talked about the two biggest influences on him as a writer were Bruce Springsteen and Stephen King. Mm. So you are obviously very creative. Yeah. Uh, you, you do a lot of different things, not just musically, but other things. How much has Bruce's music and actual career influenced you? I mean, it is... I mean, they're kind of inextricably linked at this point, too. Yes. Um, so I, like, I picked up a guitar at 11, um, and then my dad said, that's my guitar, we're going to buy you your own guitar so that you don't mess up my guitar. Um, what a great dad. <laughs> what a, yeah. Not like, I, it's not, the, I'm going to encourage you, but I don't want peanut exactly. butter and jelly on my guitar strings. <laughs> not that you were a guest, but yes, that's awesome. Exactly. Um, and I took guitar lessons for such a long time, but my guitar teacher was more of a shredder and I was not a shredder, et cetera. So, um, but when I, and I kind of immediately started writing my own music once I got good enough at guitar, cause I got okay. bored with playing covers. But, um, when I started Tonks and the Aurors, which is my wizard rock band. So the rock music about Harry Potter, um, I, I kind of approached it and it was, it wasn't until after reading both the Bruce book and Bruce's autobiography that I kind of realized that I was, without even knowing it, kind of approaching this band the way that Bruce was kind of approaching his musical career early on was I knew exactly what I wanted out of it. I knew like what I wanted it to sound like. There were all these wizard rock bands. They were almost all men playing electrified rock and roll. And then there were a handful of women playing acoustic guitars and playing piano. And I said, I don't want to do acoustic guitar and piano. I want to play rock and roll. I want it to be classic rock influenced, punk influenced about Harry Potter. And so it started from there. And it was after my first show my very first show where my now now friend Matt of the Whomping Willows said, you're like the Bruce Springsteen of Wizard Rock. And so I stole that and immediately put it on my MySpace page, yes. put it on all of my social media and just ran with it. I was like, I don't even want anyone to fact check it because yes. you said it. And so I'm going to, I'm going to run with it. So now, <laughs> you know, 13, 14 years later, I am still the Bruce Springsteen of Wizard Rock. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and I mean, I don't know if performance wise, that's always accurate, but um, I do feel like I, 
I have this tendency to write all the, I can write, I'll, recently I've been writing anthems, a lot of anthems, so I kind of feel like my last album was kind of almost the born in the USA of my discography, okay. because it's, you know, I've got audience participation and fist pumping and stuff like that, um, but then I also have albums that are, you know, like the river where you have like this party anthem and then this anthem that just ripped your heart right out of your chest. Uh Um, And so I think I just soak all of that up, that inspiration of lyricism and presenting really important topics in a format that flies under the radar for the people who aren't paying attention in a crowd. Uh Um, So when you have a kid in a library screaming, yes, all witches, Uh um, while their parent is like playing on their phone, not realizing that I've just indoctrinated them into intersectional feminism. (laughs) That's nice. Um, I was getting, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, So it sounds like you've, you early age, you, you know, you, you started, taking guitar lessons you're doing and you started was was it music and and lyrics both you just you just felt this desire to create yeah I am a uh lyrics and music tend to come together person okay um uh it I I vividly remember watching the behind the music on Elton John okay and hearing the idea that you could just write lyrics and yeah. then hand them off to someone to write the music and an amazing song comes of it. I was like, I don't even, I can't even, like, I can't sit and write poetry. Right. I have to sit and write a song. Um, okay. So yeah, I I am a, uh, as soon as I got, uh, I started playing guitar in our in the music group that played music at mass at my Catholic school. And that was what took me from a very lazy guitar student to somebody who was like, I can't be embarrassed at my high school mass. So I need to be a better guitar player. And so once I got chord changing and everything down, it was, it was done. I was like, okay, I'm going to start dabbling in writing songs. So, um, you, I'm going to date myself, but there was a series of commercials and, you know, where, um, Hey, you got peanut butter in my chocolate. Hey, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, you know, and they, to advertise Reese's peanut butter cups, but, um, Harry Potter fandom music. How did you put the two together? Um, well, the good news is, is people had already started doing it first um, right um and yeah yeah because i i'm i'm i've like i i, I always make the joke if bruce isn't <laughs> touring i go to dragon con yeah if bruce yeah. is touring i don't have the money to go to dragon con and linda <laughs> always says you can choose you know yep. uh, and so i so and i'm certainly aware that there is this whole subgenre of of science fiction and fantasy and conventions of mm-hmm. silk singing and, and, and all these kind of fun bands yeah. and music. So please continue. Yeah, there's, so even I, separately from the whole filk scene, because there's a few crossover artists between Wizard Rock and Filk 
Um, one, I love them, um, the Blivering Humdingers. They're absolutely great. They, they go to Dragon Con as well, occasionally. Um, so in, it was very early on. I want to say it was 2002, 2003, something like that. Um, the DeGeorge brothers created Harry and the Potters for a party they were having at their house as a joke. Um, okay. And the younger brother was like still in high school, et cetera. So, um, and then they started, they like released an album, started going on tour, touring libraries, et cetera. And that's where they coined the phrase Wizard Rock. And around that is where all of these other Wizard Rock bands kind of ballooned out of. Um, particularly on the East Coast, there's a pretty huge contingent, for whatever reason, based in Rhode Island, which is kind of cool. Because okay. um, I don't know if I would ever go to Rhode Island other than to go see all my friends that live in Rhode Island. Yes. But, um, yeah. So, you know, with Harry and the Potters, their friends created Draco and the Malfoys as a joke, like foil band, etc. Yeah. My friend Matt created the Whomping Willows because, of course, we need tree representation in this. But Sure. So... Um, I was in college. MySpace was king. That's how all musicians were getting everything out there. Um, and I think somebody at college was just like, hey, you like Harry Potter? Have you heard of Harry and the Potters? And I like, you know, wrote it down in my planner for later sure. and looked it up. And I was like, this is so cool and funny and just like such a great use of creativity to like take a text and write punk songs about it and then played them in a library where you're supposed to be quiet so yeah i was a huge wizard rock fan for a few years um going to concerts at the library etc and once book seven came out and then i saw harry and the potters and draco and the malfoys uh in the ann arbor district library parking lot in like 100 degree heat um so it was after that that throughout these years I would like listen to these bands and be like I love wizard rock like I could totally do this um and then occasionally I'd be like I could do this and I might I might be able to do it better like <laughs> because sure. I had experience recording and all this stuff from things that my dad had taught me and and systems that I had in place so um so long story short book seven comes out I see this concert and I finally am like, you know what? I'm going to write these songs. So I wrote like four songs in one night. And then I was like, so I got these songs and I made a MySpace and I put up demos that were just literally recorded off of my Mac PowerBook G4's microphone yeah. and put them up on MySpace. And within a week, because the my because MySpace Wizard Rock wouldn't exist without MySpace, like hands okay. down, because people could find these bands so quickly and spread the word that I had like 200 followers in a week, which was wow. big for somebody who had just released demo tapes onto internet radio sites and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, so that was, that was kind of it. it everything went very quickly from there. Um, I recorded my first album all by myself in my apartment <laughs> bedroom. Um, and yeah, so that was, it started with being a fan. Like being a sure. fan will get you to great places in your life. Like, <laughs> So when you decided to perform live, um, how did you recruit your band? 
Um, so this has been the trickiest part over the years. Um, so I had a couple of people kind of pop up and go like, I'll totally be in your band or I'll be yeah. a part of Tonks and Yours. And, and most of them did not like do anything or stick around, sure. you know, or, or actually like show up or I'd be like, Hey, I'm going to record this weekend. Do you want to come lay down, you know, keyboards right. or whatever? And they wouldn't be able to come. So, uh, but I always tell myself, you know, if I had waited for everyone to show up, I wouldn't have Tonks and the Oars. So all of the, almost all of the albums that you hear, I'm playing every instrument except for drums. Okay. Um, so I play guitar, I play bass, I like very slowly work my way through keyboard. I've had a couple of people guest to kind of fill things in. I'm like horns and and yeah. I always have a rotating drummer for my album. So the albums are me to play live. I didn't actually play with a full band for the first time until two years after the creation of the band or okay. a year and a half. So I was mm -hmm. playing rock songs with an acoustic guitar, which now that looking back on it, it's like basically what Against Me was doing very early on too. Yes. Um, and so that was that first concert that my friend Matt saw me at was just me with an acoustic guitar still. Um, and yeah, so now the Aurors are kind of a rotating cast of friends of mine. Um, I have had so many drummers that I sometimes forget about some of them, even though I love every single one of my drummers with all You're my heart. You're a real life spinal <laughs> tap, right? <laughs> exactly. Okay. Exactly. Like I, I've had so many drummers that I remembered uh, like two years ago on a short December tour that, um, uh, that Jack Stratton from Wolfpack had drummed for me and oh, my current fun. drummer was like what i love them and they're so good and i'm like well you're probably a better drummer like i'm gonna mm -hmm. be honest and he was just like oh my god so <laughs> i i just lose and you know i was in ann arbor uh the 2008 to 2009 graduating classes from the university of michigan okay. were very very talented so i was kind of surrounded by all these musicians and actors etc so yeah so it's a uh, it's it's challenging keeping a band together yes. uh, that's why i'm very impressed that the east street band lasted as long as it did um and then you know and has come back for the most part you know um because man if i could even just have the same band for two years straight i would probably lose a lot less sleep <laughs> so my, you know, I was just talking earlier in the conversation about my friend Sarah, and um, she, a very talented writer, but she would go through band members yeah. really, really hard, and um, and we'd always wonder, is she just a really hard taskmaster, or are they just, you know, flakes um and i think a little bit of both i mean i think sarah took her music really seriously um mm -hmm. what was really interesting uh steph is um when you saw her on stage she came across really ditzy 
and kind of, oh, hi, you know, what we're going to do. And one of her first songs was the F.U. song. Um, like she talked about, you broke my heart in a million pieces, so F.U. And, um, and then when you saw her offstage, she was very serious and very focused and, and very um, th interested about the music theory and, and doing things. Mm -hmm. And as we got to be friends with her, she goes, you get hit on less if you're ditzy. You know, it, you just, that persona yeah. stops. They start thinking of you as their little sister and they yeah. and you don't get hit on as much. I don't have to put up with as much crap, which I thought was an incredibly yeah insightful thing on her part and also a little sad you know that yeah. she had to put on that persona yeah I mean I can definitely see that um I get told that I'm intimidating like all the time sure. so I think I I think I also um I control some of that with my unknowing intimidation oh no, but I think but, that's good yeah yeah but also you know I the best thing about touring with a wizard rock band is that you are playing between 1 p.m and your latest show starts around 7 p.m yes in a library or a bookstore yes. right <laughs> and then you are going to the hotel to your friend's house to crash whatever it is um and you're getting up at you know uh, your normal work time to go drive to the next show or whatever it might be. So, um, so that was, you know, I just loved that. Uh -huh. Um, I wasn't having to deal with crew members who were jerks or whatever it is, right. you know, drunk people at the bar or whatever, yeah. you know, all these things, which I played in some, uh, in a couple of like indie bands and some cover things and stuff like that here and there. And so the libraries it's a it's a safe place yeah and you're encouraging people to understand the library too yes. so that that has helped me is yeah. <laughs> try teaching a writing workshop at a library or something like yeah. if you need to make a little extra money uh or, or you can't book a show somewhere reach out to the library They're, they'll pay you for that and they're, they're always unique. like i never thought of that mm -hmm. <laughs> Because Steph and I were having so much fun, we ended up talking almost an hour and a half. So to keep the episodes a manageable size, I'm going to split our discussion into two parts. So come back on Thursday, and you'll hear the second half, where we talk about her West Wing EP and more uh, music goodness. So see you in a couple of days. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listing Bruce. Set Listing Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.